has a relationship with gender. What's your story? Hello and welcome to Gender Stories with your host, Dr. Alexian Taffy. Hi and welcome to a new episode of Gender Stories. I'm your host, Alexian Taffy, and I'm super excited today uh, for two reasons. One is that I just finished co-authoring a book with the amazing Mac John Barker, Woo! who I'm about to interview. Write five days, 58,000 words. Do not try this at home. <laughs> it's really not. I would not recommend it. We're, we're a bit giddy. And yeah. um, I have no idea how this is going to go. But here you go. You're getting another podcast episode. <laughs> So today I'm going to interview my good friend of 15 years, um, writing partner, amazing author, incredible scholar, and consulting relationship geek, Dr. Mac John Barker. I can't even say her name. Dr. Mac John Barker. There you go. Using my radio voice now. Oh, I like it. Good radio voice. (laughs) So Mac John, we we just finished writing a book. How are you feeling? Wow, that was the week. I mean, yeah, we wrote a whole book in a week again. Again? Yeah. That's right. We did it before. Yeah. We did How to Understand Your Gender, and now we've written Life Isn't Binary, which should be out, I guess, next year because we've written it. So that's, that's great. Right. Yeah. We're totally not plugging our product, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Dear <Buy> listeners. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Leave reviews yeah. on Amazon. It would exactly. be great. <laughs> Mac John has amazing books like Queer Graphic History, and Mac John, you have Rewriting the Rules, second edition. Yes. I'm so excited. You, you're like a... a amazing writer and you're very prolific well I've got to the point in my life where I think I might actually be a writer it's taken a long time it's taken 18 now 19 books and I think maybe I'm a writer and uh, that's really exciting to feel I'm able to claim that title it makes me feel slightly better because I yeah. definitely don't feel like I can quite claim writer or author even yeah. though I put those books out so if it's taken like oh yeah it takes a long books, time yeah, yeah yeah it takes a long time to feel like it's a thing how much of that taking a long time? So you have 18 books. We've just re- written this other book together, which will be your 19th book. It's mm. called Life Isn't Binary. It's not just about gender. We yeah. talk about sexuality. We talk about relationships, bodies, emotion, thinking. There's just It's such a rich book, not just mm. because we've written it, but we were really trying to grapple with a lot of ways in which binary thinking shows up in our life. Yes. And I'm curious about how that binary thinking and maybe even in connection to gender might have influenced your reluctance to claim yeah, being th- an author. There's something about, um, yeah, the I guess we talk in the book about the kind of distinction between proper sex and other kinds of sex that are less proper, like things like foreplay, you know, or mm-hmm. masturbation get relegated to being not proper sex. And I think I have a similar relationship to being a writer you know, that sense of there's a proper way to do it. And we also talk in the book about proper ways to be queer, proper ways to be trans. It's like there's a whole thing about, you know, what's the what's the best way or the proper way or the normal way to do things. And it's really hard to escape those binaries. So I think because I always wanted to be a writer, but because I kind of went in sideways from being an academic and I published mm. academics books first, 
I mean, I never felt like a proper academic either. <laughs> and then I was like, <laughs> then I took a whole load of writing to really feel like a proper writer. So it's good to claim that now and like to branch out as well into writing more memoir, more fiction, you know, and, and the kind of things I guess I've always wanted to write, but had really held back from. Mm. Um, so yeah, the process for me of becoming a writer has been very similar to the process of claiming my gender, I think. From going to, from a point of thinking I can't be like I can't be non-binary, it's not even a thing, or you know, mm. trying to do other genders that felt like they would be more acceptable to the people around me, mm. and gradually, gradually, just being like, no, this is my thing. And the same with being a writer, I guess. In the last year, it's been about letting go of the other things I was claiming and just really focusing on the thing that I love. Yeah. What difference does it make to both kind of claim your gender, like you said, because there's this idea in dominant culture you can't you have to choose right yeah. you have to be one thing or the other and you're like I'm non-binary which yes. people are so um that's one aspect and then this writing you know kind of claiming your authenticity yeah I feel I feel in both aspects what difference yeah. does that make in your life to be able to claim your authenticity that's huge I mean it's it's huge for mental health I think that's the big thing I really noticed that the last five years or so as I've been on this journey with gender and I've been on this journey figuring out like what I want to do in the world for like the rest of my life it's like no pressure. yeah <laughs> um, I got I got so many book ideas like really I <laughs> if I get them all written before I die I'm gonna be pretty happy um, but yeah like that process of just allowing allowing that you know it's been hard at times just to say actually this is okay this is this is who I am and how I am um, and it's really, but yeah, it, I've noticed the depression that I've always kind of experienced just really go less and less over that time. Mm. Like I still have periods where it comes up and is live for me, but like less so and less so because I guess I'm saying to myself and everyone else, like I'm okay. You know, it's okay to be non-binary. It's okay to be a writer um, and not try and be a proper academic or whatever. It's just, mm. yeah, it's like a big sense of like, you're all right. Whatever that means, because I mean, yeah. uh, I haven't looked recently, but I think on Google Scholar, you had been cited like way over a thousand times <laughs> yeah. the last time I checked. So I'm not sure what air quote a proper academic is, <laughs> yeah. but in my eyes, you sure are one because your work has been very widely cited. Yeah. And you've written some really transformational scholarship around relationships and sexuality yeah I guess the thing is that I don't really like and I don't enjoy conventional research it's more that I don't enjoy a lot of the structures of conventional academia I don't really want to go for big funding bids because often they aren't on the kind of thing that I'm passionate about and what I really am passionate about is getting important ideas out to a general audience like that's my big passion in accessible forms like ideas from academia ideas, ideas from therapy ideas from like spiritual practice bringing them all together and like bringing them to bear on a topic like relationships or gender or sex and like giving them to people in a way that's hopefully helpful um and I guess that isn't valued as highly in conventional academia as other kinds of work are um so that's like the the process of being like okay no I'm gonna be a writer because it is valued there and I really want to bring my own experiences because that's what I've learned the most from like they, that I heard that quote recently your mess is your message what Where your does that... mess is your message okay let's right? say it together your, your mess, mess is your, your message. message oh that feels so great in my right? body where is that quote from i don't know but i think i can't remember who said it to me but i'm like this is it yeah this yeah. is it your mess is your message that's it yeah. well and what i'm fascinated by is that for both of us our mess is also like a whole bunch of really scholarly ideas that we've been grappling with for like 20 years yeah and i think that's where we connect to really kind of 
bring all the scholarship, but also our personal experience mm. and our experience as therapists and relationship consultants yes. and um, kind of bring it all together into something that we can offer to see if it resonates. That's right. And I mm-hmm. love that we do that. And I love writing with you because you know what we bring is so complimentary like we've ended up in such similar places with our ideas but like from such such we've gone to such different areas like you've gone to systemic therapy I've gone to existential therapy you've Mm -hmm. gone to paganism I've gone to buddhism you've gone to like you know your personal experiences in life I've gone to mine we do different kinds of um academic you know different academic theories that we draw Mm -hmm. in and yet you know when we pull them all together it's like and it's so much stronger because I don't need to learn all of those things and you don't need to learn all of these things we can just like mind meld and then we've got it all in dialogue you know oh my god it's like we're relational and interdependent and together we're more than the sum of our parts right which is something we write about yes it is amazing (laughs) and in some ways i wonder if that's also connected to gender because i don't know about you but one thing that was hearing when you were talking about um how it's taken quite a while to kind of claim your authenticity I was thinking about this idea of imposter syndrome, yeah. which I've talked about uh, with Erica Anna as well mm. in episode five, by the way, listeners, you want to check that interview out. Mm-hmm. Um, but we talked a little bit about imposter syndrome. And one thing that I found is that often it is marginalized folks like yeah. people who are assigned female at birth, trans folks, folks of color who kind of really grapple with a lot of imposter syndrome because in some ways we don't quite fit into what dominant culture expects and we've been told you know repeatedly that we're not okay i mean that was like the message of my childhood is you are not okay so you know it's like takes a while to shake that off and it's so easy to like in institutions that we're part of as adults to still have that sense oh we're not okay Mm -hmm. um and and yeah that the business of claiming uh, a gender that isn't even recognized in wider society, you know, how it's at the same time both incredibly healing and healthful mm-hmm. to do that because it's, you know, it's so important to be able to say this is me in my gender and also, you know, you're constantly going out of the door into a world that's like, what even are you? You know, right, you still got to go pee yeah. and there you are most of the time with like male, female and you're like, <sighs> okay, edge my bets, how am I going to be read, where am I going to yeah. be safe? There's a lot of stress, yes. right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. But it still feels so much better than the alternative. And the same is true again with the writing, I think, to me, letting go of some of the things I was trying to be because I thought that's what I should do or something. Mm-hmm. Or because, you know, institution says this is the way you do it. And like just being, you know, what feels like it comes from yeah, within or, you know, feels like... Oh, I don't know. It's like, um, it feels like uh, what Audre Lorde says in the essay about the uses of the erotic. It's like mm. the, the thing that just lights you up, you know, following your passion, following, you know, the, what what's erotic in this really broad sense of the erotic, What you know, what lights up your creativity, what you're energized by. Like, I feel like you've got to use that as your guiding force. Well, and I think that she talks about the erotic as the life force, yes, right? right. Which is the life force is not just about sex, but it's about creation. Yes. So like, and writing is about creation. And I wonder how much of kind of how did um, kind of embracing being non-binary and coming out and being non-binary in the world how did that impact your writing, do you think? Well, so much. I mean, it f- freed me up to start doing these different kinds of writing. I mean, I mean, this is why I got into Audre Lorde, because like two years ago, actually it was when we were on writing retreat the last time, and we were writing how, right? to, how to Understand Your Gender, but I started writing this other project while we were there, which was this erotic memoir. I remember. Right? And I was getting up like super early so I could start on that because it was just dreamy writing. Mm. It just flowed so much. And it was, so what it what it is is like, 
thinking about my erotic fantasies over my whole life and using them a bit like dream analysis, like using them to understand myself. And what I really got from it is like there's various different kind of masculine sides of me that got kind of left behind in a way at certain points in my life when I got the message they're not okay, but they stayed in my fantasies. Mm. You know, they came out and at first I was like, is that like I'm into those kind of guys? And then gradually, gradually I learned that like the fantasies have been like holding these sides of me all this time so that's what the erotic memoir is all about it's kind of all about gender as well um and so yeah I feel like and the other thing I learned writing that book was like this is what writing can be like and I learned that through writing with you as well it's like don't try anymore to do the kind of really dry academic writing that's not you know suited for some people but not for me you know Mm. really do the the writing that lights you up because that's what's going to light up for the reader as well you know absolutely that's where your quality is and unfortunately <laughs> or fortunately uh, and this is something i really learned from that talk we were both in by melina williams oh my god right? i love melina lee williams has. she's Just, amazing right and she, she did this incredible talk at the non-monogamous contemporary intimacies conference which was all about you've got to go where the vulnerability is like that's what your gift to the world is going to be it's like that's where you have to go and we were both like sobbing through that were we not oh, and i'm that, like that talk yeah healed me right literally I, I just gave him like a keynote what two days before at that conference yes and I felt like so stuck in some ways and like I hadn't brought my my super best self partially because I think there was a part of me that was scared to be that vulnerable because yeah. I'd gone through uh, an experience where my vulnerability was used against me so yeah. there was that betrayal yeah and so Molina's talk like opened up the world again yeah, for me. Yeah, me some too. Ways. I think we were both really cracked open by that, mm-hmm. and uh, people should check out Molina's work. You know? Yes, please do. <laughs> yeah. She's incredible, such and, an um, incredible person. And mm-hmm. yeah, like that really left me thinking. Like again, I've got to be able to do this writing, which is what lights me up. And I'm, I've written an erotic novel this year as well, so like I'm going to be thinking about publishing the memoir and the novel and more memoirs and more novels. And it's super scary. It's like I'm just going to share my sexual fantasies with the world and the things I'm most vulnerable about. That's full on. But I just feel like we have to go to what calls us and and where we're vulnerable because that's what we can really teach from, you know. That is full on. But then I think about like my my roots in feminism and and it was kind of a warped feminism because I was brought up in second wave feminism and then I had to deal Mm. with that. And and if you don't know what that is, listener, it's a little bit more gender essentialist, like the way kind of I was born and my sex assigned at birth really kind of was supposed to shape who I was. And Mm. but one of the things that really stuck with me about radical feminism is the personal is the political. Yes. And when I hear you talk about all of this, I'm like, yes, you're I think we do in our books, but in the books you're writing about yeah. like those erotic fantasies that also intersect with gender, which also intersect with social and cultural messaging yes. and with intergenerational trauma, right? Because yes. we talked about that a little bit. Um, there's such power in that personal as political. Does, yeah. Is that how it feels to you? Definitely. And, you know, it, it feels like something I'm writing about a lot is that, you know, yeah, I think if we can do this kind of work, um, the work of, staying with our feelings the you know this kind of individual seeming work mm-hmm. is staying with our feelings learning about these different sides of ourselves then you know we can be better in the world you know as well and we can connect more with people and we can bring something more useful to the really complex issues around us um and yeah you know all of the ways we got all the ways we got contracted and limited in life mm-hmm. is is down to those wider shitty forces so we have to kind of go there in order to open up in a way that we can then start to confront those forces 
um, with our activism, with our writing, with anything else we got. And I love that you're doing this motion of like closing your hand and opening your hand. Yeah. Because I know one of the things that I've really learned from you is to ask myself, what does this open up? What does this close down? Yeah. Which it comes up again and again in the books we've written together mm. now. Plural, because we just have another one. Sorry, <laughs> I'm still excited. Yeah. So Our could, books, our book babies. Our book babies. <laughs> um, can you say a little bit more about this idea of what's opening up and what's closing down for you as you are starting to move towards maybe um, thinking about publishing some of your more vulnerable and personal writing. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I guess, yeah, what opens up is the idea that maybe these books will more, even more powerfully connect with people. Um, you know, maybe there's other folks. I mean, I just, I haven't heard hardly anything written about how we can use erotic fantasy as a spiritual path. It kind of brings together, like there is some work on erotic fantasy and kind of what they mean, like Jack Marin's book, The Erotic Mind. Yes. And there is some, you know, there's a lot of spiritual work around, um, you know, kind of spiritual paths that people can take. But it's kind of like, oh, and, and I guess there's a lot about the erotic as a spiritual path more in like, I'm thinking of Barbara Corellis's Urban Tantra and that kind yes. of thing. And Dust Easton. Dust Easton, but it doesn't really get into fantasy. It's mostly mm. about doing stuff. So I guess what I feel really excited about offering is like this idea of how tuning into erotic, erotic fantasies can sh shape, like shift us and also shift the world potentially. Um so yeah, that what opens up is the idea that I might be bringing, you know, even more useful kind of ideas that I've got mm. from from the mess <laughs> to, to to become the message. Um, what closes down is it's it's frightening as hell. You know, it's it's really scary to be that vulnerable publicly, mm. and it's like how will it be received? Um, and I think you know something. Therefore, I'm really want to be really mindful around is how do I make sure this is as good as it can be. And that's something we do with our books as well. We make sure we have sensitivity readers yes. and that we uh, that we uh, sort of value them for their, the labor that they're putting in. And I'm certainly going to do that around anything else that I'm writing is like to make sure, you know, it's it's um, aware enough around all of the intersections, like the ones that I'm familiar with, but the ones that I'm less mm -hmm. personally familiar with, that kind of thing. Um, and I want to put like uh, uh, kind of processes in place for like if I you know if I, as I will you know sometimes say something that mm -hmm. isn't quite right that's imperfect or maybe even you know completely ignorant you know somebody calls me out on it I have a process for like how I'm going to deal with that situation but yeah. yeah we talked about the work Mia Mingus work about yes. accountability parts yes. for example and how much we value it because none of us are going to be perfect yeah <clears throat> and we often talk about how that white supremacy culture wants us to be perfect wants us to be pure and mm. that's actually really dangerous and it's very it's like almost a form of fascism to aspire for that perfectionism and that purity yeah. so knowing that we're going to mess up in our writing that we're going to do that publicly yeah. as scholars and writers and also making sure we're accountable that we're not just going to like brush it off that's right exactly it's mm -hmm. finding that balance of like okay that's going to happen it's inevitable don't let it block you because you're still going to be putting out really good stuff mm -hmm. and at the same time you know when it happens how are you gonna how are you gonna have a process that means that you don't just get super defensive or you just don't retreat and never write anything again exactly. um, you know and also like the the wider questions of how do we use the power and privilege that we have to raise up 
you know all, all other voices and to make sure that it doesn't just become all about us and yeah. that kind of question too it's a dance right because yeah. we have our own kind of areas of marginalizations and we want our voices out there as non as own voices as yeah. non-binary people and also there are other identities where we do have more power and privilege so i feel like we do dance with that a lot yeah in our writing um, and, and I think that's important. Yes. I think that's important to struggle with that and knowing that we might make mistakes, but we're still going to do it. Yeah. Um, because otherwise it would be so limiting, right? Yeah. It would close down too much. I Definitely. Yeah, 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 exactly. How to stay open. That's yeah. the real challenge. Yeah. So um, I want to go back to your erotic writing and gender, because you said like in your erotic writing, there are mm. all these different gendered aspects of yes. you that are coming out. and. I would love to hear more about that, but I'm also curious about whether you think that's just for like trans and non-binary people, or do you think that like everybody yeah. in some ways has kind of different parts of themselves and maybe are gendered by cultural and social expectations in certain ways and are not expressed? Yeah, I think probably so. I mean, I wouldn't ever like to make a universalizing claim like of everybody's right. experience, <laughs> but I wrote about this. There's a zine on my website. So my web- website's rewritingtherules.com and you can find a zine on there about plural selves, which I wrote over the Christmas break, which was like another super vulnerable thing to write because I thought the fun thing to do with that zine is have two of myself introduce the whole zine so like wow. yeah so like there's two of them as like comic characters like talking you through the whole idea of plural selves which is the idea that we have more than one side to ourselves which we foreground and background in different times so people might f- be familiar with the idea of the inner child or the inner critic for example like a lot of people have those and they really do feel like a separate part of yourself like when you're in the inner child your whole body feels different mm-hmm. you know you act really different people will respond to you really different same as if you're in the inner critic you know or um, any of these other places and yeah, I guess I used the erotic writing to explicitly draw out the sides of me that had been disowned, is what they call it in the in that kind of theory of plural selves. Um, and it's such an exciting process because you you know for me, I first one was like a kind of real vulnerable masculinity, a real sweet, soft, vulnerable masculinity, and I could feel really nurturing. To, you know, other sides of me, I guess, could feel really nurturing towards that. It was like something I'd left behind at such a young age and like it feels really great to bring that into you know it's like I feel like it's like sensei that's the best thing I can use to describe Mm. what it's like it's like you've got you know all these parts of you that can come together and be super awesome because you can foreground you know the one with the martial arts skills or the one who's a hacker or it's it's not quite like that I mean I have one with martial arts skills but like it wouldn't it right (laughs) but I have ones that are like stronger you know or ones that are more good at vulnerability Mm. um the other one that I really discovered was this real kind of cocky confident funny side and I'm like I've never associated myself with that but that you know when that comes out I just love it you know it's like really great to feel that kind of confident and swagger almost you know um so yeah I I think that um most of us we disown as we grow up the sides we don't get approved of that our culture tells us are not okay and often that is gendered so often it is that if you've been assigned female you would be disowning things that were seen as masculine and if you were assigned male you might be disowning things that were seen as feminine so to a certain extent I suppose you could say everyone has masculine and feminine sides to themselves and often some are more foregrounded and some are more disowned um but then you know what does that even mean to call some of them masculine or feminine like one of my one of my masculine sides is super vulnerable you might imagine 
that that would be associated with femininity but it isn't for me it's it's a masculine side so yeah one that shows how messy this whole idea of kind of masculinity and femininity is right because it's so specific to like a certain time in history a certain place geographically Mm. a certain kind of cultural certain cultural or social norms right Mm. again like gender is not this universal that we can just uh, like apply yeah across time and space definitely not yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. and I, i you know it feels really nice to me that to play with gender in that way to be like you know in these different sides that have different genders you know one of them's like very much a kind of genderqueer character and um yeah it, it feels a really exciting fun thing to do and to be writing about them in erotic fiction is also really super fun and exciting as well yeah i can't wait to read things <laughs> that you've been writing they're more personal and vulnerable even though yeah. i know they're kind of scary and what i love about the fact that you talk so openly about plural selves and and we do that now to understand your gender we do mm. that in life is in binary and of, of course you're doing that in your own work that you've just talked about is that often I think the idea of plural selves is so stigmatized yes. and seen through the lens of mental health. And I mean, we're both therapists, right? Yeah. So this idea that if people have different parts of themselves, there's something um, not well, or I yeah. would say like, again, in air quotes, like pathological yeah, about Yeah, that it, you're but... meant to be this like perfect whole. Yes. And almost like the goal is just to integrate and kind of almost get rid of those selves. And, I, and right. I, I mean, I got super into thinking, how is this represented in popular culture? And I would mm-hmm. say it's one of the, the aspects of selfhood or mental health that's represented the absolute worst. Because if you think about movies, like we have Identity oh. with John Cusack, where it's so like, bad. basically every movie about people who have plural selves, one of them is a serial killer. That's just like the only representation. It's like one of them's a serial killer. So like Abs- either yeah, the... Right? Right? What the hell is that about? Yeah. And then it perpetuates perpetuates this idea that everybody with serious mental health issues is dangerous. Exactly. Which, honestly, I'm a therapist, but I also have complex PTSD and yeah. developmental trauma. Yeah. And the world out there thinks we're so volatile we're just gonna turn into homicidal creatures what is that about i know and presumably i would get diagnosed with multiple personality disorder or whatever that's called now dissociative dissociative identity disorder right right right? and like you know there'd be this idea you know well certainly in the public popular imagination Mm -hmm. the idea is that you know a one of those sides or more is dangerous (laughs) and i'm dangerous and um b the goal is to integrate and become normal by just having oneself whereas actually what i'm finding is you know, having mm. multiple selves makes you really powerful. It's like a superpower. You know, yeah. it's like I can foreground, okay, this situation calls for vulnerability. This situation calls for strength. This situation calls for confidence. Like it's not as easy as that. I wish it yeah. was. But, you know, I'm finding that those sides come to the fore when needed more and more because I'm creating a much better communication between them mm. um, and, and regarding them, you know, valuing them as separate rather than trying to integrate them into one whole. Exactly. And it's like, in in some ways, there is so much strength in that plurality mm. and that multiversality, right? The idea that there's more than just this world, this universe that we can perceive, but that there are kind of multiple stories yeah. and multiple possibilities. And we do talk about that in Life is in Binary. And, mm. and what I love is that, you know, you are being vulnerable enough to challenge this idea that this is only pathological and yeah. to be well is to be whole. And when we polarize things like that, actually there is a lot of, there are a lot of mental health issues that come yeah. 
from polarizing oh, i know and i think the way the systems deal with them i think you know we, we've been talking around uh, with some friends around you know hearing voices for example and how yes. basically the goal of a lot of psychiatry and psychology then is just to stop the voices whereas mm. what you really need to do is is learn to communicate with those voices and in, in essence they are that that is another way of seeing a, a multiple self it's like you have this self that you know talks to you and you know that, that that's telling you important stuff it can be telling you important stuff sometimes in a really scary way but the goal is not to shut it off the goal Mm. is to kind of engage with it and find out you know what it's saying and i think the same with um plural selves the the, the really scary thing is how mental health systems can often make people worse rather than better Mm. because they think the thing to do is to try and make people normal yeah whatever that is rather than embrace that probably this is really sensible what's going on for them Mm -hmm. and if they would actually tune into the thing that's going on for them and be supported to work with it instead of against it it probably has really important messages for them you know and there might be a lot of information it's like you know my my friend and colleague mark always say fine if you're hearing voices uh, what are they saying first mm-hmm. of all because there's a difference between like destructive voices and yeah. and constructive voices and also where they're coming from right mm-hmm. often some of the destructive voices are coming from trauma and we've internalized yes. them in some way because it wasn't safe to turn um, whatever we were feeling outwards so mm-hmm. you know growing up we might have kept it inside yeah. and internalized the sense that we're bad or dangerous which then doesn't help if yeah. the dominant culture's message is that you're bad or dangerous, right? Yes. Kind of people yeah. then spiral more into to those situations. And and I love that to dis in some ways to like challenge all the stigma, vulnerability and authenticity is essential. Yes. Are essential. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And we I think we're really uh, passionate about that both of us aren't mm-hmm. we don't want to create an us and them where we're the self-help writers who have it no. all together and all sorted of, I mean I can admit like this week I was going through a massive like trauma responses <laughs> like dealing with some mental health stuff that was pretty huge while we were writing our book so it's like I kept being called on exactly this thing it's like yeah there's no there can't be us the wise authors and them the like no. you know sort of uh struggling readers you know who we're gonna like impart all this wisdom to it's like we're we're in the mess with yeah. the reader right the mess is the message the message the message and, yeah. and actually i think our mess makes the message kind of more powerful because it is about connecting yeah. as humans right yeah oh i'm loving all of this and, and what <laughs> I'm, I'm intrigued by the fact that vulnerability and authenticity are often kind of gendered as well in some mm. ways you know the often yeah. vulnerability is seen as particularly gendered maybe not so much authenticity Although sometimes for masculine folks to be authentic is to kind of challenge toxic masculinity if mm. they have aspects that are not congruent. So I don't know what you think. This is just popping in my head. Well, so. I think, you know, I think authenticity has been more associated with, with men. You know, I think, you know, we go back to Simone mm. de Beauvoir yes. and it's like, you know, women are generally brought up to be for others, whereas yes. men are brought up to be for themselves. So right there, you know, men men are assumed to, to, you know, aspire to be authentic beings, whereas women are meant to aspire to be things for other people. Right. It's like yeah. men are supposed to be subject and women are supposed yes. to be objects. Exactly. And I think we all, we still have that 
that so much. Like every yeah. time I read Simone, I'm like, yeah, that's still, that shit's still really real. Right. <laughs> yeah. Only a few, oh, I don't know, decades, hundred yeah. years, you know, yeah, yeah we're yeah. still struggling with that. So yeah. And I guess, yeah, vulnerability is super linked to uh, femininity as well, which is why I'm kind of li- liking the fact that my vulnerability is, is really linked to masculinity. And I guess my authenticity is kind of more linked to femininity. If I think about it, I have this like butt kicking warrior side that's like totally a woman so yeah oh I totally relate because in some ways for me as a trans masculine presenting person Mm. there is more vulnerability there's more authenticity in kind of embracing my feminine part Mm. and letting it show through my mannerisms or maybe even the way I dress sometimes if I feel safe enough because it feels if I do that it undermines my masculine presentation and my pronouns yeah and so there's kind of this this struggle between what do what does the world see yeah. and what do I experience within myself and um, how do we come to this place where there can be a full expression yes. so that people are not limited by their gender in what they can or cannot express mm-hmm. um, right? Yeah. That, that totally impacts our mental health right? Limiting yeah. ourselves. Big time and yeah it's, I think that's the, the sadness of this binary world where you know it can feel like even for trans folks it's not okay to be trans i think of juno roche's excellent work around yes. like you know it's okay to be trans it's okay to have a trans body you know that that can be what you are you don't have to be trans man trans woman you know you can right. be trans um and i think it's yeah it's really hard for for people to accept that because the dominant narrative is like you must try and be as much like cis people as possible you must try and make your body as much like cis people you must try and be you know, as mask if you're a trans man, masculine, you must mm-hmm. try and be if you're a trans woman, feminine. Um, well, and that then reinforces that uh, a cisgender, so, so a body of somebody whose gender identity aligns with their sex assigned at birth, yes. is somewhat superior yeah. to a trans or and or non-binary body. Yeah, and we must be doing everything we can to get as close to that as possible, but we're never going to make it, you know, and it's like, we're always going to be that little bit inferior to cis folks, and it's like, well, flip that on its head, you know, like, that again, that's what Juno Roche does, it's like, you know, hey this amazing trans body like oh my goodness isn't it incredible like you know what what bodies can do um and and in a way you know Juno's particularly focusing on sex and saying well you know talking to a bunch Mm -hmm. of trans people about their experiences of sex and saying well god everyone could learn for this you know people are doing these amazing things with their sex lives because they've had to think differently around their bodies you know Right, because it's not like cisgender people are not limited themselves, which is the yes. old kind of underlining ideas of the, this podcast and our book, How to Understand Your Gender. Like cisgender people are also subject to these ideals of gender, right? Yeah. Like I'm thinking about how many cis women are like starving themselves to be a certain size. I mean, I, I've been yeah. there when I presented as feminine and oh, I me too. Yeah. cis, right? Or like perform femininity in a certain way that's deemed to be attractive. Mm. And now they might not feel like, quite women enough if they're not performing uh, feminine in a certain way or men that might feel like not mm. men enough if they're not aggressive in a certain way or they don't perform toxic masculinity in a certain way so yeah. it's very limiting for cis people and I feel like uh, you know gender liberation is really for everybody yes. it's not just about trans I mean I want trans rights don't get me wrong yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want trans rights and I want trans women of color not to be murdered I want our trans bodies to be celebrated and yeah. And, and also to be seen as kind of 
leaders in this gender liberation movement. I want trans women of color yeah. not just to be mourned, but to be upheld as this kind of leaders yeah. in gender liberation for everyone. Well, this is what Juno Roche and Kate O'Donnell said at the end of their book launch, the book launch for um, the queer sex book, which mm-hmm. Juno wrote. It was like, you know, in, in history, people will look back at this time and will look at, back at trans people and say thank you. You know, Oof. I know. I know, as like everyone's misting over at this point. Oh, uh, I got shivers. Right? <laughs> right? Oh. <sighs> yeah, wouldn't oh. that be nice? Because, yeah, liberating gender for everyone. That's what we're about. Like, none of us just want to like make life better for like our tiny pocket of the world. We want to make it better for everyone. And until it is, nobody's truly liberated. Right? Paraphrasing Emma Lazarus again, none mm-hmm. of us are three. Three until all of us are free, right? Yes. It's like we mm-hmm. cannot do this in isolation. Yeah. Oh, I'm loving this conversation. I could keep talking forever, <laughs> but I might have to just interview again on some other subject. But for now, mm. is there anything that we haven't talked about or haven't asked you about that you were like, Alex, I really want to talk about this? Well, I just think it's probably worth mentioning that I have a podcast too. That's right. I was going to mention <laughs> yes. that. I wasn't going to miss it. Yes. Can you please tell me, I, not only do you have another podcast, You're but on I've it. been on your yeah. amazing podcast. I'm about to be interviewed on your amazing podcast again. Yeah, you're going to be on it for a second time. So this is with my other um, writing partner, Justin Hancock, who's also a sex educator and relationships educator. And um, so it's called the Meg, John and Justin po- podcast. And um, yeah, when you met Justin, we, we said that you were metamorphers. I love Justin. Yeah. He is my metamorpher. And I'm also going to interview Justin for Gender yeah. Stories. So I'm <laughs> so excited you get to have an episode with Justin because he's just amazing. So polyamorous people call their partner's partner a metamorph. And that's why we called Justin and you metamorphers. Metamorphers. Because you're both my partners, but writing <laughs> partners rather than other kind of partners. Because yeah. <laughs> so. there can be many different kind of partners. Right? As we talk about in Life Isn't Binary. We do. And as you and, Mac- uh, as you and Justin. <laughs> yeah. Well, I am a plural self, I mean. <laughs> as you, all of the other Mac Johns and Justin <laughs> yeah. talk about relationships quite a lot on your podcast. Yeah, I we love do. your podcast. Oh, I'm glad you like it. I'm really loving that people are enjoying it. And so, yeah, like it's uh, megjohnandjustin.com if you want to go and check that out and some of our free resources as well and some of our sort of slightly more expensive resources £2.50 to download a zine I think £2.50 which is yeah. like not even five bucks for my US listeners and I'm not going to translate in all the currencies of all the listeners that I hope <laughs> listening everywhere it's not very much those yeah. resources are amazing can you say a little bit more about what um, people can uh, expect what people can expect from the podcast what's yeah. on the website that you and Justin have together yeah so we've got yeah so we did three um three zines so far and one of them is actually about how to learn from your erotic fantasies so exactly what I've been talking about that's Perfect. the first publication that I've done on that topic um but there's also how to make your own relationship user guide and how to make your own sex manual for Both yourself of them are excellent <laughs> so they're workbooky kind of zines and then yeah we do a podcast um pretty much once a week once a fortnight and um they're on topics relating to sex and relationships um sometimes we answer listener questions other times we just say let's have a big old talk about this thing that's going on in the world there's a whole lot about me too and consent understandably mm-hmm. um we talk about power a lot we talk about consent a whole lot like that's our thing there's a couple of videos on there as well which are free to watch around being present for sex and around consent they're um, excellent excellent resources thank you yeah. so yeah check it out and, and all of the podcasts we do like a blog post as well so you've got a kind of short summary version of it as well that's amazing and can you repeat where people can find all of this amazing resources uh, megjohnandjustin.com 
megjohnandjustin.com people check it out megjohnandjustin.com <laughs> and also Justin and I are metamorphers because you and Justin have written a book together yes. can you tell the listeners about the book that you've written with Justin please? that is called enjoy sex how when and if you want to amazing who, yeah. who publishes that book uh, that is by Icon and what can people expect from this book I mean I recommend yeah. it to a lot of oh, my clients I love the book like it's like a book with like consent at the heart yes. and it's nothing like any other book about sex I've seen yeah there. I think it's trying to say that we need to really re like engage with sex in a very different way from the way we have done and we wrote it before me too but it's too totally relevant to that it's like actually you know, we're going to stray into non-consensual sex and we're going to not enjoy sex at all if, we, if we're just trying to, like you were saying before, like perform a certain kind of masculinity through sex or we're doing sex because we think we have to in order to keep a relationship or all of this other stuff. It's like, so it's the kind of step back and like, actually, let's think about the cultural messages around sex. Let's kind of like put some of those down if we can and what happens when we just like really tune and we're really present to sex with ourselves and another person and it covers like bodies and different relationships styles and different sexual practices yeah amazing and what i love is also that it's for people of all genders yeah all relationship styles and so really all bodies all bodies yeah. if you're an adult get this book it's not very long but it ha it's amazing it's amazing thank you you will not regret buying this book <laughs> <laughs> thank you for the plug <laughs> well it's i am generally enthusiastic about everything that you and justin do Aww. so if you want to find out more about the work that mac john does with justin mac john and justin.com and then if people want to find out more about the other 18 books or <laughs> 17 books you've written without justin and i where can they find that out from uh so i guess you, if you look for me on amazon they all come up so you can see what people think of them but also my own website rewritingtherules.com and it's rewriting hyphen the hyphen rules.com which is quite hard to say but yeah <laughs> it is www.rewriting-the-rules.com yes yeah i think if you google for meg john barker that's probably what comes up as well that's probably easier that's true. and <laughs> yeah. i'm very excited because the second edition of rewriting the rules is coming out yes. and it's just gonna be so amazing and every time I recommend it to somebody they they just thank me for it because Aww. again there's nothing out there quite like it yeah so that's just a relationship self-help book that's kind of again saying let's look at the cultural rules around relationships and let's think how we might do things differently if we agree that there's some problems with those cultural rules yeah, yeah. So we could gush about each other quite an awful we lot. We could, because you're awesome too. But you're so awesome. <laughs> no, but you're more awesome. Can, can people follow you or you and Justin on other social media as well? Yeah, let's, we're let's on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Meg john barker and we're on there at meg john justin as well um we've got facebook pages um meg john barker writer on facebook and then there's meg john justin on facebook as well um we haven't really got into instagram yet um but there's time there is time my yeah. 14 year old will teach you this yeah. summer she's very excited about instagram she's taking yeah. over my instagram for gender stories there you go fantastic now you know yeah it's it's amazing yeah I, I, I need to sort in with instagram because i'm a bit i'm on there but i'm a bit rubbish so yeah need to, <laughs> need to do more instagramming well thank you so much this was incredible i am so grateful for the 15 years of friendship oh, yes. and the last few years of writing mm -hmm. and just your existence in my life in i'm general. really grateful for your existence in my life too you're amazing <laughs> And thank you all to all of you listeners for listening to another episode of Gender Stories. I hope you found it useful and informative. As ever, transcripts will be on the Facebook page. So please follow Gender Stories on Facebook or on Twitter at Gender Stories. 
and uh, keep subscribing. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please pop a review on there. And if you want to find out more about gender, check out How to Understand Your Gender, a practical guide for exploring who you are, published by Jessica Kingsley and co-authored with the very own Mac John Barker, who I've just been interviewing. <laughs> Until next time, keep having a wonderful, vulnerable and authentic life. Thank you. Thank you.